You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Hello, and let me welcome you again to the March 2011 second edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. What we wanted to do this month is release both main session talks from Perry from our Unleashed conference that was just a few days ago. So you guys can uh, lock into that. Uh, The first session was five things we must do. I hope you've already enjoyed that. And today's talk is called How a Leader Can Move from Fear to Faith. You do not want to miss that. So hang on for just a second. Before we get to that, I just want to remind you again, go to unleash.cc to sign up for New Springs Leadership Conference. That'll be September the 8th of this year. And something new Perry's doing this year is called a Leadership Intensive. It's open uh, for some specific coaching to any church leaders. You do not have to be a senior pastor, but you can come November 14th to the 16th, three days at New Spring Church with Perry Noble. It's limited to 50 people, and those spots are filling quickly. So go check that out at unleash.cc. And with that, enjoy how a leader can move from fear to faith. Yeah, everybody had a good time today. Hey, listen, I I just, I got to brag on, have you not just absolutely loved our volunteers? Do you appreciate the volunteers in New Spring Church? Yeah. I'm so proud of these guys. These, I mean, they, 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 they were, they were here before me and God, they're just, they're amazing. And um, if you went to the volunteer breakout, you know why Sherry Moorhead leads a, um, a great ministry. She does a great job. So anyway. Oh, man, I'm just blown away by them. And every year people are. Everybody's like, yeah, message was good, music was good. The volunteers were awesome. So anyway, I'm, I'm uh, anyway. Uh, if you have your Bible, go to 1 Samuel 14. 1 Samuel 14, and if you have to leave early, um, which is weird that you would have to leave early to a one-day conference. Um, <laughs> you must be really important. Uh, but if you, ha- if you have to leave early, let me just kind of go ahead and give you the, um, the, the end of the message before the beginning, and so you'll know where I'm going. Um, you can do exactly what God has told you to do. You can do exactly what God has told you to do. You're equipped, empowered, enabled, and you need to stop praying for things that God has already given you because you can do exactly what God has already, what, what God has told you to do. Now, let me back up and talk about fears for a minute because one of the things that holds us back from doing great things for God or attempting great things for God is fi- our fear. And all of us are, all of us are scared of certain things. Um, me, it's spiders. I, I hate spiders. Um, I'm scared to death of spiders, petrified of spiders. If you want to know there's a real heaven or hell, throw a spider on me and you'll find out because I'll snap your neck. I hate <laughs> spiders. Some of our fears are irrational. Um, like, for example, if I come to your house and I go to the bathroom, um, I, I'm going to always look behind the shower curtain. Now, does anybody do this? Anybody look, you got to look behind the shower curtain. And here's, here's why. I was scarred in middle school because I was going to the bathroom and I was, I was going number two. And you know, men, you know what it's like when you get your pants around your ankles, you're not going anywhere. I have my pants around, I'm sitting down on the toilet. My dad thought it'd be an awesome idea to stand inside of the shower. And as soon as I sat down on the toilet, he rips the shower curtain open and goes, I had no problem going to the bathroom. (laughs) Colon was clean. And so now, there's just something in me that I can't go in the bathroom. If there's the shower curtains closed, I'm going to have to look behind the shower curtain. How many of you are are this person? When you sleep in the bed, nothing can be hanging off the bed, like no arms, no legs. No, okay, yeah. Now, why? Why, why do we do it? Like, because if you've got an arm hanging off the bed, it's the thing under the bed, isn't it? That can, and you tell your kids there's nothing under the bed, but you're a hypocrite because you go to bed and you're all, you wake up and your arm's hanging off the bed and you're like, yeah. And we freak out over crazy things. Irrational fear holds us back. And I've talked to leaders that tell me, I'm just praying that God would not allow me to fear anything. Let me tell you something. That day's never going to happen. Let me, do you honestly think that David, when he went to fight Goliath, wasn't sweating a little bit? And we're going to face fear. But there's this verse, there's this thing that Jesus said. 
and y'all, his stuff is great. There's this stuff, there's this thing that he said in John 14, 12. I alluded to it earlier today, but I, I just want to hit this because Jesus said that. We don't talk about this in the church, but Jesus said this. He said in John chapter 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth. Aren't you glad he always tells you the truth? Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Stop. Now that's cool. Jesus said if we have faith in him, we can do what he did. Have you read what he did? He um, turned water into wine. And the Baptists have been mad about it ever since. <laughs> Presbyterians are like, cheers. He's predestined to do it, I guess. He did the fish and chips thing. Remember a little boy went to Long John Silver's and had some fish and hush puppies and he just fed everybody? Walked on water. Healed people. Healed people. Brought people. Like, like just, he just did great things. Now that makes everybody nervous. But Jesus said it. And Jesus is the only person will go, well, I don't know what he really meant right there. I meant... I think he meant that we could do what he was doing. I think Jesus said what he meant. But then he said this. He will do even greater things than these. Is your church a picture of greater things? I'll tell you, New Spring, we're not there yet. I don't want to just do what Jesus was doing. I want to get to this thing called greater things. And he said we could do it because I am going to the Father. Leaders, I believe our churches should be an example of greater things. So today I'm just going to walk you through three steps, three things, three things we've got to focus on. If I believe if we want to see greater things. Now, let me, let me kind of get into this. Let me kind of confess this before I really dive in. These are things that I'm personally working through and praying through in my own life right now. So this is fresh. This is, this is like fresh bread. Um, I am praying that we will see greater things um, in, in our church, but I want to see them for your church as well. The last thing I want you to do is leave here and become New Spring Church. I want you to be the church God called you to be because it's going to take all of our churches to reach all these people in the world that are going to go to hell if we don't reach them. So let me give you three steps if you're going to write things down. And they all start with P because I, I'm, I alliterate a lot because anyway. Number one, preparation. Preparation. If we, want to, if we want to see greater things, I believe that we're going to have to take some time for preparation. Now, preparation doesn't mean what you think it means in a leadership conference like this. Because, um, let me just say this. Some of you pastors, especially senior pastors, you're not going to sleep tonight. You're not going to sleep tonight. You might not sleep for a week. If that happens, call me. I'll be up too. Here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 14, we're going to start reading. Um, and, and if you've read ahead, um, or if, if you, all of you guys know about this text. You probably teached it way, way better than I teached it. Teached it. Teached it. That's right. That's right. You have teached it. Welcome to Anderson. God, I'm stupid. Anyway, 1 Samuel 14. The, the Israelites were fighting the Philistines, and it was, it was going bad for the Israelites. Like, it was bad. Like, in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, we find out that only two people had swords, Saul and Jonathan. And the Philistines were taking, and, and like, the Israelites are all freaking out, and people are hiding in caves, and people are joining the Philistines, and it's just a bad situation. And then we read in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1, now, I love this, I love this text because I love Jonathan. The Bible says, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, let me stop, who had no sword, who had no sword, keep that in mind. Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. That's what most kids do. We don't tell dad, we just, but he, the, he let's, go, let's go fight the enemy, but I'm not going to tell dad. The Bible goes on to say, Now Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. We're going to refer to this group as a team or a committee for later purposes. <clears throat> Among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. 
He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas. God, he had some jacked up names. <laughs> son of Eli. There's a normal one. The Lord's priest in Shiloh. Look at this. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Now, here, a couple things, couple things about this text right here that absolutely fascinate me. You got a group of people with a priest having a prayer meeting about what to do. You have a group of people in a strategy session, we'll talk more about that next, talking about what to do. And you've got Jonathan who goes, if we don't do something, like if we don't get something done, we're not going to be able to meet anymore. We're not going to be able to strategize anymore. We're not going to be able to pray anymore. So while you guys talk about ministry, I'm actually going to go do ministry, and he takes his armor bearer with him, and he walks away. Here's what blows my mind. Jonathan was willing to walk away from the safety and the security of the inner circle to do something great for God. You and I will never see something great for God until you and I are constantly willing to walk away from safe places. God called you and I to do a lot of things. He didn't call us to play it safe. If Jesus went to a place called Golgotha, we should be willing to follow him there. God did not call us to play it safe. Jonathan had, Jonathan had everything to lose. He was the second in command of Israel. He could have commanded men to, to leave. He could have commanded this guy. If things would have gotten totally out of hand and things would have completely fallen apart, Jonathan would have been the last person affected. But Jonathan had to walk away from his safe place and take a risk because I believe God set his heart on fire and he could not sit still when God was saying move. Have you ever been consumed by a vision? I'm not talking about you had a good idea. I'm talking about you consumed by a vision. I, um, I love coffee. I didn't love coffee until I got to college. But I got to college, and I fell in love with coffee. And um, I've had some problems sleeping lately. I went to the doctor, the, and uh, she was like, um, let's talk about some problems that you probably have. She said, do you drink coffee? I said, yes. She said, how many cups? I said, probably about 10 a day. She said, I think I found your problem. <laughs> Now, there's some pastors in this room. You're with me. Every Sunday morning, you're going to have a cup of coffee before you preach. Amen? Or a Coke or a Dr. Pepper or a Coke Zero or a Pepsi Max. I don't even know what the heck is out there. But you're going to drink some coffee. So I, I was drinking some. Well, several years ago, um, I walked into my area where I get ready to preach, and somebody had brought by some energy drinks for me. <laughs> and they said, it's a true story. They said, I'm concerned about the amount of coffee that you're drinking. like the country music M&M video I mean, thing I was telling you earlier. I, I'm concerned. So I, I think, Pastor P, I think you should try an energy drink. Now, I'm a bit of an extreme person, and so I literally had this thought. What if the energy drink doesn't work? I know what I'll do. I'll drink the coffee and chase it with the energy drink and I did I drank the coffee chased it with an energy drink I was preaching on tithing that morning <laughs> Malachi chapter 3 will never look the same I preached so f I was consumed I was consumed I was consumed. I couldn't, I, like, after the service, I was like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? I went home. I'm like, Crescia, you want to paint? Let's paint the house. Let's paint the house. Let's paint the house. She was like, Poof. okay, she has a 38 special. Uh, I, I was consumed because of what was inside of me. That's what I'm praying happens to us spiritually, that we get so consumed by the voice and the vision of God that you and I say, screw playing it safe. We're going to do what God has called us to do. And that happens when God prepares the heart of a leader. You read the Bible. When God wanted to make a difference, he didn't 
call a committee. He called a leader. Senior pastor, this is on you. When God wants to do something great in your church, he's going to set you on fire. He's going to consume your, listen, you can't find, the book of Judges, what's it about? God raising up leaders. All through the scripture, God raises up leaders. He prepares their heart. And here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe there's some people here this afternoon, there are especially some senior pastors and senior leaders, you know exactly what God is calling you to do. You know exactly the step of faith you're supposed to take because God has been preparing it in your heart and God has been preparing it in your mind, but you are too scared to articulate it and you're actually hoping that somebody else will come up with the idea and you can put your stamp of approval on it when God called you to bring it to the forefront, not them. Now, if you're here and you're on a committee and you're getting all upset right now, I can understand. There's a couple committees in the Bible. Remember the Israelites? Walked out of the promised land. They formed a committee. And the committee wanted to lead them back to slavery. Remember that? The committee's been leading churches back to slavery ever since. The New Testament, there was a committee. They voted to kill Jesus. The committee's been killing Jesus in churches ever since. Don't come at me with leadership doesn't matter. The secular world doesn't even believe that. Steve Jobs announces he's taken a leave from Apple, and what happened to Apple stock? Dropped immediately. Look at Home Depot. Go Google it. Home Depot with Arthur Blank. And without him. With Arthur Blank, stock $64. Without him, it dropped to 18 Tell me leadership doesn't matter. And I'm telling every senior pastor in this room that God is either preparing you and preparing your heart or he's about to do it. And you better be ready. Because when God wants to set your church on fire... He's going to set you on fire first. And if your church isn't on fire, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. What is God preparing in your heart to do? I've had, I've had pastors tell me, well, if I do that, they're going to fire me. Might be the best thing ever happened. Well, I get my paycheck from them. Oh, so you're their hoe. You know, a prostitute is paid for a service that makes other people feel good about themselves. So are you a prostitute or a prophet? you got to make a decision. When God sets your heart on fire, you can't get in bed with people that don't know him. You do what God has called you to do. Now, before I move on, If everybody that loves Jesus and loves you is telling you, I don't know, you might want to back off of that. You've got to listen to people that love Jesus and love you. You've got to listen to people that love Jesus and love you. In fact, I've got a rule. I listen to people that love Jesus, love this church, and love me in that order. I can't listen to everybody. But I will always listen to somebody that loves Jesus, loves this church, and loves me in that order. I've got those people in my life. But man, I can't please the masses when God sets my heart on fire. And I refuse to play it safe. Because hell is hot, eternity's long, and time is short. Preparation. Number two, perhaps. Perhaps. You got preparation. Number two, you got perhaps. I, um... Uh, I love Outback. It's probably one of my favorite restaurants. Their filet 
It's awesome. Some of you are like, I knew you were going to talk about food. Hey, I got a hobby. It's food. <laughs> and um, we, went to, we went to Outback one night, and um, Karis, our little girl, was with me, and it was me and Karis and um, Lucretia, my wife. And then on the other side was Jason Wilson, who's our executive pastor, and uh, his wife Kelly, and their little boy Branson. And Branson's a little bit younger than Karis, and we were sitting in this booth, and, and Jason and Branson and Kelly were sitting over here, and there's me and Lucretia and Karis. And I don't know what it is about babies, but we do stupid things around babies that we don't do around anybody else. Do, do we not? Like, two normal people with three-digit IQs can be having a conversation, and a baby walks into the room, and we, it's like, I was looking the other day at the theological, and all of a sudden the baby walks in, and we're like, See, you don't do that to other people. You don't do that for anybody. Like, you don't do that for anybody else, but you'll do that for a baby. And I'm no exception. So we're sitting at Outback, and if you can make a baby laugh, you'll just do whatever makes the baby laugh. And so I was looking at Branson, and he's like down in the seat, and I looked at him, and I went, ah, and he went, <laughs> So literally, we sat there for about an hour, and about every five minutes, I would go, yeah! He'd go, <laughs> it was awesome. We got up to leave, and we were getting out, and Kelly got up, and she got Branson out of the seat and pulled him up like and put him on her shoulder, and the lady in the booth behind us went, oh, thank God. I said, what? She looked at me. She said, I thought you had lost your mind. I said, like, what are you talking about? She said, I couldn't see that baby. So I thought every five minutes you were looking at me going, I realized then, if you don't have the full picture, you can make some serious false assumptions. We got, listen, when you step out and you begin to do what God has called you to do, you're going to have people think you're crazy because they can't see the vision that you can see. That's why this next part of the story, this next part of the story has always fascinated me. The Bible says, in verse 4, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bezez, the other Sina. One cliff, stood, uh, one cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other south toward Geba. Now look at this, look at this. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, who had no sword, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps... Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. And then he puts this in because he probably went to Sunday school and he had to say this. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, let me ask you a question. Just If you're the armor bearer, do you need a little bit more than perhaps? <laughs> I'm like, time out, John, listen, bro. I love you, man. I'm going to need an email from God. I'm a little type A here, John, so here's what we're going to need. I'm going to need a bulleted list of exactly what God wants us to do, and he also needs to include the promised really good outcome. Because, Jonathan, I don't know if you've noticed, I don't have a sword and all you got is a perhaps. But if you read the rest of the story, Jonathan asking perhaps unleashed one of the greatest moves of God we see in the Old Testament. Perhaps. This isn't a brilliant strategy. But it worked. And you know what I did? You know what? As I read the scriptures... 
I don't see a bunch of brilliant people in strategic meetings putting together three to five years plans. I see a bunch of godly men and women who are ordinary who had the guts to ask, perhaps, perhaps I should build an ark. Perhaps I should leave my homeland and go to a place where you've told me even though I don't know where that is. Joseph said, perhaps I should tell this guy about his dream. Nehemiah said, perhaps I should build a wall. David said, perhaps I should go fight Goliath. Paul said, perhaps. There was not one single great move of God in the scriptures that took place because somebody planned it. It was always a perhaps. Where is the church leader today that has the guts to say perhaps? The New Testament is all about perhaps. They didn't know what they were doing in the book of Acts. They didn't know. The Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached and all these people got saved. And we think that somebody was standing over in the corner going, Peter, here's what we do. Acts chapter 2 said, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So all y'all got to devote yourself. Let's get in some home groups. You over here, we'll get you. you you're probably not going to fit in that group. You're not going to fit in any group. Get over here. And, 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 and everyone was in awe. Okay, we got to have more awe in here. Could we have a little bit more awe over here from this side right here? The middle schoolers, y'all, we need awe from y'all. And, and we think that they planned it out. They didn't know what they were doing in the book of Acts. They didn't know what they were doing and we take the book of Acts and we go, well this is what we should be doing when they didn't know what they were doing. Nobody handed the apostle Paul a Bible and said, Paul, here's a Bible. Now in the back you'll find your four missionary journeys. <laughs> now fourth one's going to be a little rough, Paul. It's going to be a little rough. You're going to get shipwrecked. You're going to get bit by a snake, but it's going to be all good. You're going to survive. I was reading through the first Corinthians the other day because somebody's like, well, I don't think perhaps is in the New Testament. And I was first Corinthians chapter 16, verse five and six. This is Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the way. And he said, I, after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while. Or even spend of the winter so that you can help me on my journey. In other words, he said, we're going to take an offering. That was Paul. That's what he was saying. <laughs> Every time I read the Bible, I heard somebody say this one time, and it's so true. Every time I read the Bible, I think it's perfectly normal not to know what's going to happen next. Perhaps. Do you know the ministry of New Spring Church has been built on Perhaps. We've been running on a perhaps for 11 years. We, this did not happen as the result of a strategy. Do you have a three to five year growth plan? No. And by the way, if you can tell me what God's going to do in your church over the next three to five years, come back in three years and I will look you in the face and tell you God did not do a thing in your church. Because the Bible says his thoughts and our thoughts are not the same. The Bible says his ways and our ways are not the same. And the Bible says he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. You get in your strategy meeting, we'll just keep asking perhaps. Perhaps. In, in 2000, I was like, perhaps, I, I mean, 1999, I was like, perhaps we should start a church. Perhaps. I'm 28 years old. I don't know what I'm doing. Will anybody show up? Perhaps. In May of that year, Perhaps we should hire a worship leader. Can we afford him? No. By the way, by the way, and I, I share this with the pastor. Pastors in the pastor breakout. If, if, if you go, well, this is how we make decisions in our church. We take a piece of paper and we draw down a line and we put pros on one side and the cons on the other and the pros outweigh the cons, we do it. It's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Where in the Bible did anybody ever do that? If you're doing something for God, the cons are probably always going to outweigh the pros. Daniel in the lion's den? Remember that one? <laughs> Pros. Cons, die. I mean, you can't. But we do that. 2001, we're like, perhaps. 
Perhaps we need to move to the Fine Arts Center. Now, it's going to take $50,000 for us to, uh, to make the move. Or $40,000, I don't even know. $45,000. It's going to take $45,000. We took up a love offering. People gave like $23,000. We didn't have the money, but we're like, perhaps God wants us to go borrow it. Our church is going to be debt-free all of our lives. <laughs> it's going to be small, too. <laughs> perhaps. We got, we got in that bill. We didn't know what we were doing. 2002, we literally, we, we were on a leadership retreat. We're like, perhaps we need to hire some more staff. We hired two staff, or three staff people, two part-time, and or, I mean, sorry, two full-time and one part-time staff member. We couldn't afford it, but we knew it was what God was telling us to do. Two weeks later, August 11th, 2002, we had 504 people at New Spring Church. The next week, August 18th of 2002, we had 970. And we don't know why. I tell that story, and afterwards, people get staff members. They corner them. They're like, hey, 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 listen. What really happened? <laughs> and they don't know. Lee and I stood on the stage. If you don't believe me, ask Lee. Lee and I stood on the stage, and people were streaming in. And I was like, what are they doing? <laughs> He's like, looks like they're coming to church. I was like, I know, but why are they here? He's like, I had no idea. We didn't send out a direct mail piece. I, I was in the most boring, dull, dry series I'd ever done in my life. I said, you think they'll come back next week? He said, probably not. <laughs> they didn't. We didn't have 970 like the next week. We had like 1,016, and within four weeks after that, we're sitting at 1,600 people. We, I, it, it, we just don't, we just ask Perhaps. When we built this building, perhaps, perhaps, we should build a 2,500-seat auditorium. And y'all, I, I, I freaked out about it. I wish I could stand up here and say I was Mr. Faith. I sat right there in January of 2006 on that stage on a Sunday night with nobody in this room but me, and I bawled like a baby. I was like, I have bankrupted this church. Nobody's going to show up. Within eight months, we had 8,000 people in this sanctuary. Listen, I don't know why. Perhaps. We, we had to make the decision to start the Greenville campus. We started a campus in Greenville, build a youth building and a children's building. It was going to cost $20 million. $20 million. So we're in a leadership meeting. It's a true story. We're in a leadership meeting. All the guys are talking about it. And they're kind of they're talking back and forth. And I'm just sitting there like this. I'm just sitting there like this. And I was pretending like I was praying, but I wasn't. <laughs> you ever done that? And the meeting got silent, and everybody looked at me. Or I, the meeting got the meeting got silent, and I looked up. and Everybody's looking at me, and I was like, "What are y'all waiting for?" And they said, "Your decision." I said, "I think I need to go home." I went home. I walked in. Look, I walked in the door. Lucretia looked at me and said, what happened to you? I said, baby, we got to make a $20 million decision. I said, I'm scared to death. Thank God for a godly wife. She just looked at me and she said, hey, and your wife sets you up sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> She's just set. And men, we're stupid. We fall for it every freaking time. And so she smiles. She goes, hey, Pierre, remember when we moved from the Fine Arts Center or from the Sullivan Building to the Fine Arts Center? It's like, yeah. She said, how much money did we borrow? How much money did we go and borrow? And I said, $20,000. She said, so is he a $20,000 guy but not a $20 million guy? Your mama. <laughs> I slept like a baby that night. I'm like, we bankrupt the church. It's Lucrece's fault.
Listen, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I, I, don't, I don't want you to walk around these buildings. I don't want you to see this facility. I don't want you to see all of this. And I don't want you to think it came about as a result of men and women in a room formulating strategies and trying to come up with the best ideas possible. We just ask perhaps. And we're going to keep asking perhaps until Jesus comes. Or we get somebody, listen, you've just got to be willing to ask perhaps. Jonathan said perhaps. I went, um, I try to get away with my, my guys, my leadership guys for fun every once in a while. So we did a leadership retreat one time and we went and did some fun stuff. Some of the guys went and played golf. I can't play golf. I, I went one time. It just was bad. But um, we went bungee jumping, me and some other guys. And I didn't bungee jump because I'm just not going to, but I did the bungee swing. You ever done the bungee swing? And me and Paul Marshall, who's our CFO, he did it with me so we wouldn't have to die alone. <laughs> and I remember, I remember we're standing down at the bottom, and the guy said, um, which one are y'all going to pull the cord? I said, I'll pull the cord. And they put us in the swing, and they started raising us up and raising us up and raising us up. And then I realized what pull the cord meant. <laughs> Some of you need to pull the cord and ask perhaps. Number three, partnership. Preparation, perhaps, and partnership. I learned the power of partnership in the church that I served as youth pastor before I came here. Because I, I had a problem with authority. I'm sure nobody here does. But I had a problem with authority. And in the church I served, it was a, it was a, it was a traditional Baptist church, and there was a running controversy between the youth group and the senior adults. I don't know if you've ever had, and it, and it centered around the church van. Church vans have caused more church splits than anything on the planet. Are we tracking? And the senior adults always told me that we didn't clean up the van. Y'all didn't clean up that van. Y'all didn't fill it full of gas. We went to pick apples, and we had to go fill it up full of gas. We had to go. Yeah. Go to Ingalls and buy some apples. You ain't got to go pick them. So we took it to the beach one time on a mission trip. Man, it was awesome. And, and this is a true story. Lucretia and I, we got back. We were, we were um, engaged at the time. And we took the church van to the car wash. And because uh, I, I was talking to the pastor, and you know, he was like, you know, make sure you clean the van because the senior adults were taking it out like the following Monday, and we got back on a Saturday. We took it to the car wash. I took the seats out of the van and sprayed it out. It didn't have carpet in it, so don't freak out. It had that... That, that, that flooring that you can just wash stuff off of. I don't even know what you call it or what, it, but we, we just sprayed it out. I cleaned it. And then, true story, I took armor all. I armor all the seats. I armor all the floor. I armor all everything in the van. It was July. It was really hot. The senior adults took the van out the following Monday. They were going up to the mountains for something. Wednesday night, I walk into the church for the church fellowship supper that you have on Wednesday nights. And I was getting go-to-hell looks from the senior adults. And one of them came up to me and said, you did that on purpose. It's like, what did I do? You cleaned the van. What am I supposed to do? She said, you armor rolled it. You knew we were going to the mountains and we were going around the curves and sliding. We couldn't even stand up. The floor was so slick. Could have fell and broke my hip. 
Now, YouTube wasn't around back then, but that would have been awesome to see. And I'm like, I don't like you people. So I think it was that fall, my pastor came to me and said, um, hey, man, I'm really proud of the work you're doing. We're seeing, I, I, I need you to step up and do something for me. I'm like, anything, man, anything. He said, they're having a senior adult convention in Myrtle Beach. I was going to take them, but I'm not going to be able to. So I just need you to step up and go to, this, uh, to Myrtle Beach with the senior adults for three days. I was like, kill me now. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. He was like, yes, you are. I was like, see, you don't understand. I'm not. He pulled out my job description and said, see this last line, other duties as assigned by the pastor. So I showed up to take the senior adults to the beach. We got, we were there, what, 4.30 in the morning. They'd already eaten lunch. We got in the car, we're driving down the road, and I'm, I'm just, I'm like, I don't, even, I don't even know. And so we drove, by, we drove past T.O. Hannah High School. It's right, right out here on 81, and um, there's there one of them in the front seat, and I was like, man, that sure is a nice high school. He looked at me and said, waste of money. This is going to suck. <laughs> By the time we got to Columbia, it's two hours, conversations began to develop. By the time we made it to Myrtle Beach, they had actually laughed a couple times. By the end of that trip, those people and I were so close. We came back, I let them out of the van, and one of them came up to me with tears in her eyes. She said, I just want you to know I was wrong about you. I was so close to that group. I actually, um, I actually preached one of the guys, I preached his funeral. Cried like a baby. You know what God taught me? You can always submit to godly authority and trust that the end's going to be okay. You can always submit to godly authority. All the senior pastors are clapping. <laughs> if you've read 1 Samuel 14, and if not, just go, go home and, and, and read it or, you know, read it. One of the greatest moves of God happened because God prepared something in Jonathan's heart. He asked perhaps, but then look at this. Look at what the armor, it was the partnership. The armor bearer said this to Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 7. Do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, go ahead. Now, that didn't cost him anything. Yeah, you've told people that before. Yeah, I think you should do it. But the armor bearer steps up and goes, I am with you, heart and soul. Now, senior pastors, let me, let me kind of talk to you for just a second. If you want to lead a perhaps charge to see greater things, You've got to be a leader worth following. We've got to be a leader worth following. We've got to have integrity. We've got to have integrity. We've got to care more. When it comes to our staff, we've got to care more about who they are than what they do. Because if you care more about what they do, you will burn them out and roast them in ministry. But if you care about who they are, well, you're a leader worth following. We've got to be a leader worth following. Something about Jonathan made him a leader worth following that his armor bearer that didn't even have a sword would say, do all that you have in mind. I am with you, heart and soul. Isn't it fascinating that one of the greatest moves of God in the Old Testament happened because of the partnership of an unnamed armor bearer? 
And I'm challenging the pastors to let God prepare something in you. And I'm challenging the pastors to have the courage to ask perhaps. And I'm challenging everybody else on staff to be willing to look at your pastor and say, do all that you have in mind, I am with you heart and soul. Do all that you have in mind, I'm with you heart and soul. There are too many people in the church today that want to be known rather than used. Too many staff members that want to be known rather than used. That's why you're checking your Facebook status rather than being on your face before a holy God saying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with a divine vision and fill me with the ability to get behind this man that's leading the charge. That's why we're obsessed with how many Twitter followers we have or who happened to comment. Listen, if you leave more than two comments on your own blog, you suck. You'll probably go blog about that and then comment on your own blog. <laughs> Seriously. There are too many people that want to be discovered and not developed. You know how we're developed? We're developed by submitting to godly authority. Godly authority. By looking at the, by looking at the leader and go, do all you have in mind. I'm with you. Heart and soul. Notice that the armor bearer did not say, do I have to? Pastors, if you have staff members coming to you asking you what they have, it, it shouldn't. He, his attitude wasn't, do I have to? It was, do you mean I get to? If you've got a staff member seeking to do the minimum amount possible, I wouldn't go into battle with that guy. I wouldn't go into battle with that because, that, that, listen, they'll be the first to run. He didn't say... Do all that you have in mind, I am with you heart and soul until a better opportunity comes along. Got my resume out. If you are a, or if you are a staff member with a resume, you're not bought into the church you're serving. You're not bought in. He said, do all that you have in mind, I am with you heart and soul. Could you look at your pastor and say that in the eyes? Could you look in your pastor in the eyes and say that in the eyes? That was stupid. Could you look in your pastor in the eyes and say that to him? See, one of the reasons God isn't doing great things in church is there's too much division among the leadership. I can't trust my pastor. Then get out. How am I supposed to feed my family? Last I checked, that was God's problem. Last I checked, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Last I checked, if he called you, he will provide for you and sustain you and help you. Could you honestly look at your pastor and say, do all you have in mind. I'm with you heart and soul. But I'm telling you what you see here at New Spring Church is not the result of a really genius pastor. I've got at least 110 staff members that would look me in the eye and tell me, do all you have in mind. I am with you heart and soul. Today I have 600 volunteers right here on this campus that will tell me, do all you have in mind. I'm with you heart and soul. And I would charge hell with these people because I know that I'm going to battle with somebody that's got my back. If you're a senior pastor here or over in the east, I want you to stand. I just want you to stand up right where you, right where you are. Just stand up and remain standing. Let's give these guys a hand. Stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. 
If you're here with your pastor, I just want you to look at him. Now look back here. You have no idea what that man carries. There are some people in this room that go, I do as much as he does. I go through as much as he does. You are an arrogant idiot. No, serious, you're stupid with a capital S. Do you care for that man? I'm talking, listen, listen. I'm not, listen. The pastor in most churches, he receives a lot of attention. He don't receive a lot of care. You care for that man standing right there. I mean, you, you care about that guy. I mean, that guy right there, he walked out one day and you had taken his car and filled it full of gas. Not because he asked you to, but just because you cared about him. Oh, I didn't know that's what you meant. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Do you honor him? Seriously, do you honor that man standing right there? If you're more excited about a John Piper podcast than his message, you are dishonoring your pastor. That is the man that is going to stand in front of God and be held accountable for you one day. Not John Piper, not Andy Stanley, not Perry Noble, not Craig Rochelle. And if you love those other men so much, then quit your church and go to their church and serve them. But that's the man that you're called to honor. Now, one more thing. If you're a pastor's wife, I want you to stand. Tell you something, let me tell you something about her. It's the most unnoticed person in the church. You want to bless me? Bless my wife. You have no idea what that woman goes through. No idea. Pastor's wife is the most demanding and the most underappreciated role in the church I want to tell every pastor's wife standing right now thank God for you thank God for you thank God for you and I want to tell every pastor's wife standing you just be the person God called you to be you're not the church's wife. You're his wife. I mean, you can do things for him nobody else can do. <laughs> Amen. So do you pray for her? Do you encourage her? Because let me tell you something, he can't do what he does without, she do, without her doing what she does. Man, my prayer is after this session right here, there will be some church staff members, there will be some church volunteers that will look their pastor and his wife in the eyes and say, do all you have in mind. I'm with you heart and soul. Stay standing. Let me read this, pastors. David had some mighty men around him. And the Bible says this in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9 and 10. David was in a battle. 
2 Samuel 23, verse 9 says, Next to him, meaning David, was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdemim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. But he, meaning Eleazar, stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. And what happened through partnership? The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. I believe Eleazar looked at David, and they stood back to back, and Eleazar said, hey man, do all you have in mind. I'm with you heart and soul. Do all you have in mind. I'm with you heart and soul. Every one of you pastors standing right now in here and in the East Auditorium, you can do exactly what God has put in your heart to do. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. What the king wants, the king pays for. My prayer is over these next few minutes is I just give your staff and your team and for those of you pastors that are alone, our staff and our team a chance to pray for you, a chance to pray over you, and maybe just a chance to whisper in your ear, hey pastor, hey pastor, do all you have in mind. I'm with you heart and soul. Let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're standing near your pastor, you're standing somewhere close, would you just, would you just stand up and put your hand on his shoulder? In the balcony in the east, it's okay. If you got to move, it's okay. It's all good. It's all good. Some of you are here without your pastor. Hey, man, pray for that guy. You don't need to tell me what to pray. You just pray. Some of you are like, this is weird. I've never done this. It's the beginning of a breakthrough in your church then. Get ready. Jesus, as people are praying and continue to do so right now, God, I just pray over every senior pastor that's standing right now. Father, I pray for the man that walked in here wanting to quit, wanting to throw in the towel, wanting to give it up. God, that you would encourage him to dream big and walk out of here with a perhaps that will change the world. God, I pray that he would have the strength to do exactly what you've called him to do. And God, he would not back down from critics, from skeptics, from Satan himself. God, I pray for the pastor's wife that stands with him. Jesus, first of all, that she would find her identity in you and not what the church says about her. The church does not define her. You define her, Jesus. And may she find her identity in you. And may she understand her value is in being a wife to her husband and not a slave to the church. God, I pray you'll set some pastor's wives free from that today. So they could step into who you've called them to be. God, I pray that the rallying cry of churches here
would be staff members and volunteers who look at their pastor and say, do all you have in mind. I am with you, heart and soul. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you for this. And all God's people said. As you're moving around, I got one announcement and then we're going to close. You can stay standing. Um, if, you, if, you've been in, if you've been in my coaching network or you're currently in my coaching network, I want you to meet me um, after this service, after everybody leaves. We're going to meet right down here um, just for a few minutes. I want to I do something um, just with you guys. It won't take but five minutes. I know some of you guys have got to go. But if you've been in my coaching network or you're currently in my coaching network, I, just got, I, I need to meet with you guys for about five minutes. The rest of us, it's been a great day. It's been a great day. At the end of the day, we're his church. I read the book of Revelation the other day, and guess what happens in chapter 22 every time? We win. We win. We win. His church is still here. She's still beautiful. She's still his plan, and we win. So we're going to close out today singing about the victory that we have. Man, we love you. Can't wait to see you back at NLC and then back at Unleash next year. Let's sing this last song like we mean it.